0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emanuelcommunity.org. Let me begin by telling you kind of a, a, a story here, maybe a few stories sort of stacked up on top of each other. In uh, 1806, there was this group of Christian undergraduate students at Williams College that met regularly for these prayer meetings. They were meeting outdoors in this meadow. And on this one particular day, a flash thunderstorm suddenly struck. And in order to get out of that thunderstorm, they all ran under this haystack. And as they were riding out the storm, prompted by the Holy Spirit, they entered into a spontaneous prayer meeting, which, as a result of that prayer meeting, every single student there committed their lives to becoming missionaries somewhere abroad, overseas. And as crazy as it sounds, that spontaneous prayer meeting under that haystack was the launching of the missionary movement in North America. One of those in attendance at that haystack prayer meeting was a man by the name of Royal Wilder. And he ended up committing his life that day to becoming a missionary in India. And he served in India for 30 years. But because of health reasons, he eventually had to leave the field and return with his family back to the U.S. And Royal Wilder had a son named Robert. Robert. Uh, at that time, um, that he was a college student, the YMCA, which, you know, for us, the YMCA is basically just a gym, right? A cheaper gym. But back in that day, the YMCA was actually a very vibrant evangelical Christian outreach ministry that was uh, actively evangelizing the faith in many of these communities. So the YMCA put together the very first Bible conference for college students that ever took place in this country. And so in July of 1886, that conference took place, gathering 251 students from universities all over the country at a place called Mount Hermon, Massachusetts. And there they gathered for four weeks to hear the teaching of famed evangelist D.L. Moody from Chicago right here. Robert Wilder, the son of Royal Wilder, was one of the 251 that attended. And his sister, Grace, together they had been praying that God would do a missions movement in this country. And she received a prophecy from God through the Holy Spirit that at this conference, a hundred students would dedicate their lives to missions work. And so she urged her brother, Robert, to attend the conference And so he went. And at the conference, he began to hold these afternoon prayer meetings for missions. And the first one he held, only four students showed up. But he kept at it every day. And slowly that number increased to 16 and 21 and on and on. And he began to challenge these students about the needs that existed overseas for a Christian witness to be present there. And you know, Moody never intended this conference to be a mission conference. He sort of felt like it was sort of being hijacked from him, this whole missions agenda, but he sensed that the Spirit was doing something special. And so he himself began to offer these mission challenges to the students, calling them to overseas foreign missionary work. John Mott, one of the attendees who was a student at Cornell, wrote about what he experienced being a part of that conference. And if you want to see the texts and the quotes, please go to the uh, website where you can see that link for uh, our Sunday bulletin, and all the texts and quotes will be there that you can follow along. John Mott writes of that experience at that Bible conference in uh, Mount Hermon. The Holy Spirit is working here with mighty power. He has brought about the greatest missionary revival the world has ever known. Up to this noon, over 80 of the students have consecrated themselves to foreign missionary work, and I know by Sunday night they will number 100. It thrills me through and through to record this fact. Here I have received a far richer anointing of the Spirit than I had dared to ask before I came. By the end of that conference, 99 undergraduate students had signed a pledge card that says that I dedicate my life to overseas missionary work. At the very closing time together, as the students were saying their farewells and the final prayer was uttered, one student finally signed the pledge card, making it exactly 100. These 100 students would go down in history as the Mount Hermon 100. And they went into all mission fields all over the world to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that Mount Hermon 100 catalyzed an amazing missionary movement among students that spread to campuses all over the country so that over the next 50, 60 years, through what was to become known as the student volunteer movement, over 20,000 college students in America eventually became missionaries overseas to different countries proclaiming the gospel. Fast forward to another July, exactly 101 years after that event. This is the summer before I enter my freshman year as a student at University of Illinois, and by then I had already committed my life to being a missionary in Africa. And I joined that summer a band, a gospel band known as Alpha Omega, that toured all over the East Coast and the Midwest, leading revival meetings through worship. During those first two retreats, which were in Florida and Georgia, uh, God was doing some really powerful things through the work of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of these um, things I had never seen before in my life were happening. And one particular phenomenon was that these high school students, so many of them were uh, receiving the gift of tongues. And I entered into these heated debates with the band leader about how wrong all of this was (laughs) because I was telling him that scripture clearly says that where there is gift of tongues, there must be interpretation. And as far as I could tell, I didn't hear any interpretation. And so we need to shut this down right away. And so we got into these arguments with each other. Oh, no. My iPad just shut down because of the temperature. Um My notes are just right on my... Betty, can you go in and just print them out right now? I'm going to try to press on with whatever's up here, I guess. Okay. Um, The third retreat in that summer tour was, oddly enough, in Mount Hermon, Massachusetts. In the very school where that missionary revival broke out, at the time, I had no idea the significance of that place. All I remember was in that chapel, there was this humongous painting of D.L. Moody in that chapel where we worship. That's all I knew. And we were gathered together in, as a band to pray for each worship service. And as we gathered to pray, um, we prayed that in the style that in, typical of what in the Korean church, Is called Prayer in One Voice, where we all just sort of pray out loud and kind of shouting and cries to the Lord, all in unison together, seeking God. And so we were doing that, but the oddest thing happened, you know. Um, As I was praying, instead of English coming out, I began to speak in tongues. And this was not a welcome thing, you know. I did not want this. And as much as I tried to revert back to English... I couldn't pray in English. Tongues just kept coming out. And I opened my eyes in, in horror, and I made eye contact with a band leader who gave me this strange look and this smirk, and he just kind of nodded at me as if to say, so where's your translator right now, <laughs> you know? Uh, your interpreter for your tongues. You know, that would begin for me... Um, a journey of discovering the power of the Holy Spirit through the gifts that the Spirit gives to His church. And what I want to say is that the story of the church, whether it was in the early days in the book of Acts or the revivals and missionary movements that happened 100 years ago or what God is doing presently right now, all of this could be described as the story of a Holy Spirit-led movement, a Holy Spirit-led movement. And that's really what I want to talk with you today about, is what does it mean to be a part of the story that God is writing through the work of his Holy Spirit? And what does it mean for us to invite that Spirit's work in our life this day? Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Just in the nick of time. If you look in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit was so critical to bearing witness of Jesus that the disciples were commanded, wait in Jerusalem until you get this equipping of the Spirit so that you can do the work that you are called to do. And after receiving that Holy Spirit, their lives were never the same again. Filled with the power of that Spirit, John and Peter would heal a man that was crippled since birth for the first time, giving him the ability to walk. This is why we're reducing the number of outdoor services, <laughs> because the, the challenges here are many, OK. Um, and then they began to preach to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as a result of that, they were in prison overnight. And the next day, when they were released, they went before the Sanhedrin, the r- religious leaders and the teachers of the law, and they testified in Acts chapter four, verse eight to 13. Then Peter filled with the spirit, said to them. Which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been. With Jesus so filled with the spirit suddenly these men that were once cowards have this amazing courage to speak and say you rejected him and crucified him and this man is now the risen Messiah and although these religious leaders refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah they couldn't help but be awestruck by what they were witnessing both in the healing of this crippled man as well as this magnificent transformation of his followers that had this extraordinary courage now to bear witness to Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart write, We believe that much of Acts is intended by Luke to serve as a model. We are to view this triumphant, joyful, forward-moving expansion of the gospel into the Gentile world, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and resulting in changed lives and local communities as as God's intent for the continuing church. I think this is one of the best definitions of the church I've ever read. A joyful, triumphant, spirit-empowered movement that transforms lives and communities wherever it expands. And that's the church that we see in the book of Acts, and I believe that is what the church ought to be today. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 24 to 25 says, "But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in uh, comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, "God is really among you." What Paul is pointing out is that these spiritual gifts, particularly like the gift of prophecy, are not only there to strengthen believers, but it says that even a non-Christian who ends up being present in a service like that will witness something like the gift of prophecy and say, God is surely among you. In other words, there is this evangelistic witness of these gifts that goes forth into our world. It's one of the functions of these gifts is to demonstrate the presence of God among his people, which will lead to faith. And prophecy is just one of these many gifts that the Spirit distributes to the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, and then verse 7 to 12, Paul writes, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Determines. And I want to ask you this morning do you believe that God still works in this way in His church today? I had to ask myself that. Do I still believe, do I believe that the kingdom of God is not about talk, but about power? That belief was tested in my life when I led the short term mission team to Ethiopia one summer back when I was a resident, a medical resident, and we were doing medical work in these northern parts of Ethiopia among these Muslim villages, and hundreds of people came out seeking healing. And they thought, man, you know, if you say God is with you, then heal our people. And they brought some of the sickest patients that they had to us because there was no hospital there. And I remember one patient being brought in a stretcher. And he looked, really really sick and his friends told us that he went to a health center where they diagnosed him with cerebral malaria but that they didn't have the medicines to treat him and so they said bring them to the missionaries and he'll heal you so they brought him to us and when I saw this guy my heart sank because cerebral malaria is a hundred percent fatal if you don't get treatment and we didn't have the IV medications either in our mobile clinic and so we just laid hands on him and we prayed for his healing that god would save this man's life i can't describe the anxiety that i felt for the next few days wondering what happened to this guy and after a few days without news eventually word came to us from his family that he was actually doing better and getting well When we look at this passage that we just read here, what Paul is saying is this. These spiritual gifts that are given to us are not just for our own benefit. The main purpose of them is that they act as a tool of ministry so that we can serve other people. And I think maybe that's the first place that we have to wrestle with right there. Maybe we're not that hard-pressed to seek these spiritual gifts because frankly, we're not doing a lot of ministry out there. Helping people and seeking them. But what I would offer you is if you're out there in the trenches, really trying to serve and help people that are in dire situations, then I'm telling you, why wouldn't you want these spiritual gifts? I think everyone of us would crave them. It's like feeling like you're trying to dig a ditch with a spoon, knowing that there's a shovel out there that will help you so much more to accomplish this task. It says that the Spirit says in this passage that all of these things are for the common good, not your good, but for the common good, to be a blessing to others. And I've experienced the Spirit's power personally. You know, I I actually recall this one situation where I was counseling this lady for months, and it was one of these really frustrating situations where even after a half dozen meetings, Nothing was getting through. You know, there's that feeling like we just hit a wall here, this impasse, and I'm not getting through at all. And then she had some women praying for her and stuff, and she was in this gathering, and she came back really excited and said, something just happened, and I just felt like God just touched my heart in some really deep way and healed me of something. And then she just began to say everything that I've been trying to tell her for months, And it was like her personal discovery through the Spirit, and I was just, I was literally blown away. I was like, what in the world just happened here? But that's the kind of work that the Spirit can do in our lives. I longed to experience that same work of the Spirit in my work as a doctor in Africa because we were so limited in our resources there. We had so few diagnostic and therapeutic tools that the truth is often we were just looking and saying, this person is as good as dead unless God intervenes. And so it's no wonder that I felt I saw so many more miraculous healings in Africa than I did as a doctor in America. Because in America, we have all the tools at our disposal. It doesn't feel like we need God very much. But placed in that situation, it was desperate. It said, God, if you do not work, what are we going to do? Let me say this. I know this topic of miraculous gifts probably makes a good number of you here at ICC a bit uncomfortable, a little bit worried. Let's be frank here. If we're going to put labels on this, ICC is not a charismatic church. I think we welcome those who uh, are of that charismatic persuasion, but I don't think in terms of anything that we would describe as the regular rhythms of our worship that someone would say ICC is charismatic. And the truth is, I have talked with enough of you to know that a good number of you have had some pretty negative experiences with charismatic movement. And here's the honest truth is I have had them too. I feel very conflicted about this because in as much as I feel I could testify to some miraculous gifts that I have witnessed firsthand that I cannot explain in any other way than there was the work of the Spirit, I have also seen some unhealthy excesses of the charismatic movement that have made me personally very uncomfortable i've been in situations where i felt like there was more manipulation than spirit at work in that service and the truth is those negative experiences do make me a bit hesitant to sort of go down this road at icc but here is the thing is that i fear that out of that hesitancy i don't want to quench the spirit in what he wants to do in our church in every church, there's a pastor out in Oklahoma named Sam Storms, and he's an interesting character because he's a pastor and he's a he's the author of many books. He is through and through reformed in his theology, but what is interesting is that he is also one who practices the miraculous gifts of the Spirit in his ministry, and in his church. But it wasn't always like that. He started off as what's known as a cessationist who believes that the miraculous gifts are no longer in existence in the world today, the church today. And he recalls this particular moment when he was watching this televangelist who was basically acting like he was getting a play-by-play call from God, a -a message-a-minute kind of an approach, and then he would relay that to the audience, and then what ensued was something that he said was actually just very repulsive to him that this televangelist was basically speaking in irreverent, even blasphemous ways, the way that he was talking about God, and then was clearly manipulating the audience. And when he looked at that televangelist, he says, this is exactly why I hate this garbage. I'll never be a part of something like that. And in that moment, he sensed the Holy Spirit prodding him and saying, because of that guy, are you going to reject All the good works that the Spirit wants to do in your life and in your church. In his book, Practicing the Power, Storms writes, I quietly but decisively said to myself, if that's what it means to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I want no part of it. No sooner had I silently spoke those words to myself than this question flashed in my mind. Sam, are you justifying your disobedience to what Scripture tells you to do? Because someone else badly abused what he claimed was a spiritual gift. I knew the answer to that question, and it stung my soul. Ever since that day, I've realized that I tend to live by an unspoken 11th commandment, one that is not found in the Bible, but guides guides my actions and thoughts all too often. Thou shalt not do at all what others do badly. (laughs) It's the habitual response that we have to completely reject something when we see someone else doing it in a way we feel is wrong or manipulative. When we see someone browbeating a non-Christian, trying to extract a confession of faith from him, few of us resolve that we will never share our faith in Christ again. When we endure a bad sermon, when the preacher twists the text and makes inappropriate applications of it, we don't decide that preaching itself must be abandoned. Storms is, in other words, uh, exposing the double standard that many of us have. Is he saying, if, somebody, if you witness somebody evangelizing poorly, you don't say, I'm never going to share my faith again. And if you hear a bad sermon with a preacher twisting the text, you don't go, forget sermons, they're terrible. <laughs> no, you just say there's just one bad apple here. But you're going to keep listening to sermons. But here's the odd thing. For many of us, we have encountered certain expressions of the charismatic movement, and what that has steeled in us is a resolve to say, I'm never coming close to touching that stuff. Because I, I see what it does. It's no good, and I'll have none of it in my life. And I wonder if by doing that, we are in essence, as Storms argues, disobeying what God's will is for the church. Some of us have experienced the mishandling of the gifts of the Spirit. But that doesn't have to color our entire understanding of the Spirit's work in the church today. Based on Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12-14, to it's clear that the spiritual gifts that were being exercised in the Corinthian church were in fact causing some trouble in those days. There were those who were given more impressive spiritual gifts, and they were using it as a status symbol, drawing attention to themselves rather than using them for the common good. It also seems like there was a lot of chaos and disorder in the way that the worship services were unfolding because of these use of spiritual gifts. People talking over each other and it just became kind of chaotic. It seems like others were struggling with jealousy because they didn't have certain gifts and they wanted them, but God was not giving it to them. And it is in this context that Paul gives his famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, what's known as the love chapter where he compares love to these prophetic gifts and spiritual gifts, the tongues and, and all that. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain Nothing. So Paul is saying, you know, you've gone so off course with these spiritual gifts. You're totally misusing them and abusing them, not for the purpose that God intended, which is to show the love of Christ to each other by ministering to each other. Instead, you're using this, holding it up over against each other. And in light of all of that drama and all of that conflict, you would think that Paul might just say to them, listen, this is just not worth the headache. I'm shutting it all down right now. Forget this chaos. Everyone just pray in Greek or in Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever, you know? But that's actually the opposite to what he does because right after that love chapter, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he says, Follow the way of love, follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Wow. (laughs) Wow. He tells them to still eagerly desire these spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, because he knows how important these gifts are to the life of the church. So that even when they're causing all these problems, he says, still, it's not the right answer, is to just abandon them. Like the Corinthian church, the Thessalonian church was also dealing with problems as a result of these spiritual gifts. Particularly for them, was this gift of prophecy. We're not sure exactly what the problem was, but maybe it was the fact that people were using prophecy to control others, to gain more status or influence in the church. Maybe the prophetic word was being overemphasized, overused, totally taking over the worship service there in Thessalonica. Maybe it was the fact that uh, they were using this gift of prophecy to basically take advantage of the weaker, more impressionable Christians and directing them in wrong, false ways. Well, whatever the situation was, it was bad enough that there were leaders or there were people in Thessalonica who basically didn't want the gift of prophecy practiced anymore. It says that they were holding holding prophecy in contempt. They either wanted to suppress prophecy or just outright do away with it. But he warns the Thessalonian church, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Paul is equating the efforts to quench the spirit with the contempt for prophecy. And he urges them not to reject these spiritual gifts, but simply to practice them in a right way with wisdom and discernment. This may be a bit of an oversimplification here, but I think you could probably put most churches into one of two buckets. The first is what we could call the fruit of the spirit type of a church. These fruit of the spirit churches are ones that emphasize the spirit's work in transforming our character so that we become more like Christ, bearing the fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience. These churches tend to view the gifts with suspicion like prophecy and tongues and healings. And if, if you allow me a little license here to press even further, although at the risk of stereotyping, I think we could also characterize these churches often as very tightly controlled, everything well-scripted and predictable. Nothing is going to happen in that service that's going to catch you by surprise. There is little to no room for any spontaneity or leading of the Spirit. On the other hand, we can describe what I would call gifts of the Spirit churches. They tend to emphasize the signs and wonders of the miraculous gifts. And the highlight of these church services is not the preaching of God's Word, but it's typically what they call the ministry time when the sick will be prayed for. And prophecies will be uttered and other spiritual gifts will be exercised. In these churches, it's all about spontaneity and just going with the flow. And in these churches, if, again, you allow me to push the stereotype a little harder, it's as if if God hasn't shown up, if there are no signs and wonders that have manifested in the course of that service. But I think what we need to notice here is that Paul's teaching to both the Corinthian and the Thessalonian churches is that a mature and healthy church does put as central God's word and sound doctrine. But it also takes seriously the command to earnestly seek the gifts of the Spirit. And that is my hope and prayer for ICC is that we would not fall into one of those two buckets, but that we would be a church that upholds dearly the centrality of the Word of God and the importance of the teaching of Scripture, but also longs to see more and more of the work of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit in our midst. Next week, I want to preach one final message actually on the Holy Spirit. Um, I realize that I keep delaying the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> and maybe it feels to you like it's never going to happen, but just please trust me, just one more week of delay here. I just, I feel like next week I need to say a few words about what practically this might look like for ICC, to actually exercise some gifts like prophecy or healing and things like that, okay? And I just don't have time to do that in the message today. But what I want to leave you with the message today is just simply two applications That I hope will ready us for the next message. And then I'll just close with that. The first thing that I want you to to invite you to as a response to this message is to simply pray with openness and expectancy or expectation. Pray with openness and expectation. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open." Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's kind of a sad thought that maybe why we don't see greater works of the Spirit in our churches today is simply because we don't bother to ask. We just don't ask. We don't long for that work. We don't want it. And as I said earlier, I think there are some very real and legitimate fears there that maybe as a part of this prayer of openness and expectation, you have to bring to God. What are the fears that I I just don't want to deal with this stuff? when it gets to this stuff about miraculous gifts and things like that, like maybe it's the, it's the fear of disappointment that you've prayed these kind of prayers before and felt that God didn't answer them the way you wanted. Maybe it's, it's the fear of all the abuses that you've seen in the past and say, all of that just brings more headache. I'd rather just not deal with it. I wonder if you could even bring those fears to God in prayer and instead replace that fear with a humble heart of expectation. To say, God, I long, I actually long to see that. I mean, I have skepticism, I even have cynicism, but my God, if that was true, that these gifts still are in existence, how awesome would that not be? That I don't know, my prayers don't always have to only be limited to be with the doctors who are in the care of, who are caring for this person, but I could actually believe in my heart that I can pray for a miracle, And that person is going to be miraculously healed. I want to ask you this. Because I know already that many of you pray for the healing of friends and family when they get sick. But I want to ask you that. I want to really press on this a little bit. When you pray that prayer, do you really believe that God is going to work through that prayer of healing that you pray for someone? Or is the truth that in the back of your mind the nagging feeling is that God is just going to do what he's going to do. And nature will just take its course. And frankly, I'm not even really sure what all this prayer amounts to when I ask for healing. James says, the person who prays with that kind of doubt should not expect to receive anything. And I think that's something that we have to wrestle with. Do I have the faith to believe in the goodness of God? that he actually longs to do this type of work in our midst so that we could say, God is really among us. He is here. I think sometimes we need to pray that prayer of that father who had the demon-possessed son. And Jesus says, do you believe that I could he- heal this boy? And then he says something, I think, so poignant. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He knows that he needs the faith that he doesn't have at that moment. And so he says, yeah, I believe, I believe. But then in a moment of confession, he says, help my unbelief. I think we also have to examine our motives. That's another preparatory prayer that we could be praying as we seek earnestly the gifts of the Spirit. James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives. Then you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Do we seek these gifts truly for the benefit of God's people and so that it would stand as a testimony even to this world that there is a God among us? I just simply want to invite you to consider this week praying an open-handed prayer to say, God, I struggle with this topic so much. I just don't know what sense to make of it. But God, I long I long to see you work in that way in my life. The second thing that I just want to leave you with, and we'll close with it, is this. Is open your heart to connecting with God and his spirit through worship, through worship. I think one of the most powerful ways that we develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit is through worship and singing. John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24 says, Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. I could preach a whole message on that topic alone, but I'm just going to leave you with wrestling with that. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth, to come before God under the leading of the Holy Spirit, in worship of His name? First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14 to 15 says, "For I pray in a tongue, uh, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful." So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding." And then he says something interesting. I will sing. With my spirit, but I will also sing with understanding. What does Paul mean when he says, I will sing in the spirit, or I will sing with my mind? Well, maybe Ephesians speaks into that a little bit in Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 19. And it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. And then, in that context, the filling of the spirit, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, And songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Now, the Psalms are probably just the songs that are found in the book of Psalms. And the hymns probably refer to these very ancient songs that we know were in circulation in the very earliest days of the church that are captured in passages like Philippians 2 and Colossians 1. But then the question is, what are these songs of the Spirit? And what some believe is that just like we can speak in tongues or speak with our spirit or pray in the spirit through tongues, there may be a sense in which we can also be given songs from the Lord in the act of worship that are spontaneous and that come from him. And I've never really experienced this until I went to some charismatic services and saw some people doing that. They were just maybe looking at a psalm in the Bible and just turning that psalm into song. Or maybe God was even giving the lyrics directly to them into a song. And some of these songs were absolutely beautiful and edifying to me as I was listening to them being sung. I, I just sort of wonder if there's this entire world of life in the Spirit that the truth is for most of us, we're like foreigners in a strange land. We just have never even considered these to be possible expressions of how God wants to have a relationship with us. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. You see, it was in the midst of worship that they sense the voice of God saying, set apart for me. Paul and Barnabas, they heard the Holy Spirit, and that's an experience that I've had as well, is sometimes I've heard the Spirit when I'm reading Scripture, but here's the truth is more often than not where I have sensed the Spirit's voices in the midst of worship, when I'm singing praises to God and communing with Him and connecting with Him in the depth of that intimacy. I believe often it is in that context that God will speak to us his Holy Spirit. Some of you have guitars at home and can just pluck those chords yourself. If you're not very musically gifted, you can just turn on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever your music service of choice is and listen to some worship songs. And just want to invite you to enter into some times of intimacy in this coming week and just saying, God, I want to want more of you in my life. Because maybe that is actually the biggest mountain that must be climbed for me even wanting these spiritual gifts is I'm not really fully sure I want that. And maybe what that's really saying is I'm not sure I want anything more than just a small dose of God in my life. Storms continues in his book, Practicing the Power. One of the more powerful catalysts in my personal spiritual growth was the discovery of God and his beauty, power, and love during times of worship. This was not simply a cognitive discovery in the sense that I learned new things about God. It was that to be, sh- that to be sure, but far more. It was also a deeply experiential encounter that affected not merely how I envisioned God, but how I enjoyed him. I had always worshiped God, or so I thought, I had always loved music, especially the great hymns of the church. But all too frequently, worship for me was little more than singing songs about God. Of course, we ought to sing about him. But I rarely had any expectation of meeting God or experiencing his presence or engaging my heart with his. And so that's the second application that I want to invite you to. is It's not just something that we work out all in our head doing a systematic Bible study on gifts of the Spirit. I wonder if part of the barriers have to be dismantled, not by a study, but through worship, through which God can disarm those areas of resistance in us. And even as he reveals his beauty and his love and his care over us, his goodness, we grow in our trust and longing for him that says, God, I want more. And if the way to that more is through your Holy Spirit, Let me receive everything that you want to give to me. I want to say to all of you who do struggle with personal struggles in your own life and struggles that your loved ones and cared for people are going through, you see someone going through depression, you see someone struggling with anxiety, and you've tried all you can to reassure them that you are with them and that you're going to help them, but I wonder if what is lacking is maybe the Spirit's touch that can heal them in ways that all the hours of counseling may not achieve. Can we just be open to that and say, Spirit, whatever you have for me, I don't want to resist you. I don't want to push you away, but I want to long for you and seek you and ask for you. Ask for you. Let's pray. We're gonna come to the Lord's table here in just a minute. But before we do that, would invite you to just spend a, a few moments in silent prayer. What is your story? when it comes to these things? What have been some of your past experiences? I've already confessed to you that my past is kind of checkered. And I have some moments that are still like anchors to my faith to this day of things that I've witnessed that have been so powerful in terms of the demonstration of the Spirit. But I've also witnessed some things that have made me really uncomfortable and have grieved me. And I think what we need is even healing from that and for us to be able to cut through all of that confusion and, at the, and through that fog to see a God who loves us, who is so good and his heart is for us. He is jealous for us. He longs to give us more. But sadly, one of the things that Jesus says is you do not have because you do not ask. Ask, seek, seek, Knock, and it will be given to you. Do you have the faith to maybe even pray that prayer? I want more of you, God. I want more of you. I want all that you desire to pour into my life through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. I just want to receive that. We just pray that for a minute, and then we'll come to the Lord's table and take communion together. he gathered his disciples and had with them a final meal and in that meal he broke bread and said this bread represents my body broken for you and then he gave them a cup of wine and had them drink from that he said this wine represents my blood shed for you the wine of the new covenant that I make with you he says whenever you take of this bread and take of this cup do it in remembrance of me that our sins are forgiven, we have peace with God through what Christ has done for us. It's on that bedrock truth of what Christ has done that everything else must be built. And So as we come to the table, let's remind ourselves of that, that because of Jesus, we have peace with God. And in that peace, God wants to pour into us the work of His Holy Spirit enable us to live the life that he calls to live of covenant faithfulness to him. So let's go ahead and first take from the bread and secondly drink from the cup and then I'll close us in a word of prayer as we go into a time of closing worship. This wind blowing in this outdoor service today, we're reminded of the mysteries of your Holy Spirit. We cannot contain your Spirit, we cannot control it, we cannot control Him, but all we can do is submit ourselves to the Spirit's work in our life. And so, grant to us that faith of surrender, to long to see greater things in our day, to want to experience greater intimacy with you through the Spirit's inward testimony to us of Christ. May all those who come into this place be able to testify because of the Spirit's word that God is real and that he is among these people. And so even in this week as we come to you in prayer and worship meet us in that place as we open up our hands to you fill us with the work of your spirit so that we might know you intimately and personally. Allay all of our fears with the knowledge of your love and your goodness toward us as we pray all of this in Christ's name.